Well, this morning I have uh, the awesome privilege to introduce you our guest speaker. Um, Matt has uh, been a good friend of mine for a, for a long time. Um, we talked about who is God as, as Savior this morning. And um, at a time in my life, whenever I was running from the call of God on my life, God called Matt to be a campus pastor at the college, secular college I was going to, and uh, used him to uh, be the voice of God in my life for a, for a season. And uh, I probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the year that I spent with Matt. <laughs> well, rather, I didn't spend it with Matt. I was running from Matt, but Matt was pursuing me because God had put on his heart for him to pursue me. And um, God was pursuing me. And so this morning I get the privilege to introduce you, Matt Springer. Matt is the uh, Northeast Area Director for Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha is a college campus ministry, and Matt's going to share a little bit more about that this morning. So Matt, would you come share with us this morning what is on your heart, what God's placed on your heart this morning? It's, yeah, it's fun to see what the Lord is doing in people's lives. It's, uh, it was great to have dinner with Rob and his wife last night and, and their little Zeb, uh, who was phenomenal during dinner. The dude can consume some food. He is good. He is good at that. Um, yeah, I think I, I remember that time a little differently. I, I just remember someone who uh, was probably more hungry than they wanted to admit uh, for Jesus. Um, and was just working through what all of us have to work through sometimes, sorting out. And I think a lot of what, uh, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today has to do with, um, I think, what, what Jesus has done and probably is continuing to do in Rob's life. Uh, I didn't grow up in church. Um, it's not that I was opposed to church. I went every once in a while, but it wasn't a part of my normal life. I didn't know Bible stories. I really didn't know, honestly, Noah from Moses from Jesus, although I knew Jesus was like more important somehow, but I didn't really get, you know, like the how or the what of, of all that, of all that stuff. Um, and the, the times that I did go to church, either I did not hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus because they didn't share it, or probably more likely I just wasn't listening when they did share it. But um, when I was in high school, there was this girl, uh, which is probably the beginning of every good story uh, for most men. There was this girl that I really liked, and I was so thankful. Um, I didn't know to who I was thankful, but at that point, I was just really thankful that we were friends. But I desired something more than friendship uh, with this young lady, and uh, she invited me to see her in a play at her church. And I wasn't opposed to plays. It just wasn't a normal part or rhythm of my life. But I would have gone anywhere that she invited me to go just to have the opportunity to be near her. So at this play, she played a drug dealer in the play. Which was ludicrous because she was the purest person I knew. She was beautiful, fun, smart, great to hang out with, but pure. Like that was the thing that always gripped me. She is so pure. And the fact that she played a drug dealer was, I mean, she played her part well. She did a great job acting, but it was just ludicrous. And uh, we got to the end of the whole play and this pastor walked up and he starts sharing about Jesus for probably three, maybe five minutes and all night long, long, my eyes had been on this, young, on this young lady, and Jesus just stepped in front of my field of vision and interrupted my life. And for the first time, I heard about him 
about who he was and what he had done for me. And I just knew I, I have to have him. I have to have this. And he changed my life. Um, interrupting my life, he changed my life. And I, I made the decision that night to follow Jesus. And Jesus, in his great kindness uh, to me, a few uh, months later, allowed me to start dating that young lady, uh, which is why my wife, because she is my wife, is okay with me sharing that whole story publicly. <laughs> Uh, we got married towards the end of our time as students at West Virginia University. I had gotten a degree in chemical engineering. She got a degree in psychology. We moved to New Hampshire where I worked as an engineer. She was going to grad school. We eventually made our way back uh, to West Virginia after a couple of stops. And um, in, the, in the meantime, like once we got back to West Virginia, we were just looking for a way to connect and just serve Jesus. And so we started volunteering with this campus ministry at Fairmont State University called Chi Alpha. I didn't know what Kyle was, hadn't heard of it before, but just started volunteering. This was just a couple years before Rob got there. Uh, there were some transitions that took place, and we ended up finding ourselves as volunteer directors of this campus ministry, probably at that point when we started directing maybe 15 or 20 students involved. And over the course of time, God just so gripped our hearts with love for these students and love for him that we made the decision to leave the marketplace and serve him full-time in ministry to college students. Chi Alpha is the Assemblies of God Missions Outreach to the Secular University. It exists to reach students for Jesus' sake. The mission is to reconcile students to Christ, transforming the university and then eventually the marketplace in the world. And our, our goal is we want to disciple university students to fulfill their purpose in God's global mission. And for years, I led Chi Alpha from being on staff at a local church and then transitioned to be an Assemblies of God U.S. missionary with Chi Alpha. And then a couple years ago, uh, transitioned off the local campus of Fairmont State and took over this role as the Northeast Area Director where I oversee our existing campus ministries and then the efforts to plant new campus ministries on, on uh, campuses from West Virginia, Virginia, up through Maine. So it is like the most densely populated area of the, of the nation with college students and with, with colleges. I mean, by far. Like 25% of the, the campuses in the nation that are the size of Fairmont State or larger are in the Northeast. When you drop down to about 1,000 students or more, about a third of the campuses in the nation are in the Northeast. So we have all this opportunity. Opportunity. And you and I both know that the Northeast tends to be about the most spiritually dry and desolate part of the nation. <laughs> But we have all this opportunity. When I became the area director, I felt like God really challenged my heart. Like, like he was standing before the Northeast, like he was standing before Lazarus's tomb when he called out to Mary and Martha and all the people standing there. And he said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And this was before Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And I felt like that was the challenge to me. Did I not tell you, Matt, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God on these campuses? So that's been my heart is, God, would you show us your glory? Show us your glory. Down at Westchester, which I understand we have a young man who's getting ready to go down there or is, is down there. Uh, show us your glory on all these campuses across the Northeast. We want to see your glory. That's, that's our heart, that God would do that across the Northeast. Um, that these young men and women that are post-Christian would become pioneers and planters in the faith and go to the, the, to the mission field across the ocean to go to college campuses, to go to the communities as they work as engineers or doctors or business people or teachers or nurses or whatever it may be in their communities, bringing Jesus in because I want Jesus to interrupt lives like he interrupted my life, like he did with me. When I read the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, you remember that parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44? Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I feel like that's what life is like with Jesus. It's like we have been given this gift and we open it up. And I don't know who said this, but we open it up and the inside of the box is bigger than the outside of the box. And we get in that box and we find we open a door and there's more inside that door than there was outside that door. That's this life with Jesus, this treasure hidden in the field that he is. There's always more with who he is and what he's done. And interestingly, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark records a living reversal of the parable that Jesus told. In Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, this well-off man, young man, and he says, tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life. There's something like of dissonance in his heart and in his life such that he wants to find the guy who seems to be the holiest person he knows, who speaks with more authority than anybody else. And man, the the dude does stuff and miracles just happen. Demons flee, people are raised from the dead. I want to talk to this guy. How do I inherit eternal life? And this guy is doing all the right stuff. He's doing all the right stuff. He's faithful to church. He never steals, never lies, never cheats on his wife or who may be his future wife. We don't know because it's not clear. He honors his parents. He's like a model citizen. He seems to be a shoe in in heaven because even in that day, in that culture, if you were wealthy, God's blessing must be on you. So you, I mean, it's like automatic path. You get to go around the line and go straight to the front and go in. That's what it would seem to everybody else. And yet here he is asking, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him. And he loves him. He says, one thing you lack, go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And he is not like the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Instead, he sells nothing and goes away sad. Because he has great wealth. And all this kind of begs the question, is it possible to be this close to Jesus doing all the right stuff, and then still completely miss it, still completely miss him. Can we do all these things and miss Jesus because there's something we treasure more, something we feel like is worth more? When we get into these these conversations with college students on the college campus, and there's all these things competing for their attention, every conversation about Jesus and the opportunity to follow Jesus is ultimately a worth conversation, a value proposition. Our invitation in Chi Alpha is for them to surrender to Jesus, to come with us and to change the world, to give up their small ambitions and do so. And students have to evaluate if they think Jesus is worth it. I mean, the reality is we all do, right? We all have to evaluate if we think Jesus is worth it, to come to him and then to, to continue to follow him. As I understand, your pastor Paul last week spoke from Acts chapter 17. There's, there's this interesting thing that the Athenians were really good at, that the Greeks were really good at, that they talked about in Acts chapter 17, verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So I want you to keep that mindset of how they were in mind when I jump us into John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida. Philip was one of the disciples of Jesus, and who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, another disciple, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And I love Jesus. I love how he responds because he doesn't even answer their, their request. He just simply says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
I just asked you if these Greek guys wanted to talk to you. That, that was all I was asking. But the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, which remember the rich young ruler was unwilling to do. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. You can imagine these, these Greeks wanting to tell Jesus, all your wisdom, all the things you're teaching, they're lost on the backwoods of Galilee. Why, why are you in Israel? You need to come to Athens. You need to come to Greece where you can share these amazing ideas and we can all talk about them and debate them. And instead, he just says, it's time to die. It's time to die. But I die so that many can rise from me, follow me to my death. That's what he says in response to their request. That's our invitation. invitation. Lose our lives to find them. Die to ourselves that a true harvest can come from our lives. And I would say this, the worth is proportionate to the cost. There's great cost, but there's great worth in him. One of the things that we try to help students understand as they're reached and discipled through the staff and through the students of Chi Alpha and different campuses across the Northeast is that there are three primary components to a life of following Jesus. Three fundamental aspects we're trying to disciple in because we only have them for a short period of time. At best, probably four years while they're there with us. Back at Fairmont, we call them the three reels. Different campuses call them different things. But basically, just three fundamentals of the faith. And they're all in John chapter 15, embedded in this... this uh, this conversation, really more monologue that Jesus is having with the disciples on the last night that he's with them. Already he's had the last supper with them. He's doing the last teaching. He's imparting to them what's about to happen, although they can't get their minds around him. He's telling them about the Holy Spirit. He's getting ready to pray for them. The longest prayer we have recorded of Jesus that's prayed for them and for us. And in the midst of all that, he shares this with them. And I want you to just, I'm, I'm going to read it slow. I want you to, to focus in. Close your eyes if you want to, to envision what Jesus is saying to them and I think also to us. He says to them, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The first component of of this life of following Jesus is what we just refer to it as real devotion. It's we're trying to endeavoring to disciple university students to have a life of real devotion to Jesus, obviously involving prayer and study of God's word. 
But embedded in this is the idea that Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. He's the rootstock. We, the, the Father is the gardener. He's the one who does the pruning. And we are simply branches. I love what Lisa shared earlier. There's embedded in this a recognition like our old rootstock, what it would do is it would feed up insecurity. It would feed up inadequacy. It would feed up all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, all of our weaknesses. But instead, we've been cut off from that old life, placed into Christ. And now what, is, what does he feed up? His perfection, his power, his goodness, his glory, his beauty. In the midst of our imperfection, his perfection shines through. In the midst of our brokenness, his wholeness shines through. That's what he's endeavoring to do as we remain in him, in him and us. Let me grant you freedom. Jesus is the true vine. He is the true vine. We have this messed up mindset in Western Christianity sometimes, sometimes that somehow we are the source. We are not. I thank God that I'm not the source. Man, if you knew all my life, I'd be terrified for everything to be up there on the screens of what my life has looked like, how inadequate I am, how honestly, I don't even understand how I'm in the position, the role I'm in as the Northeast Area Director. It's like the irony and, I don't know, joke of God, I feel like, for me to be in this role. We are not the source. He is. Be relieved. Be of good cheer. You are not the source for your life. He is, but you have to understand, if your life is to bear fruit Everyone gets cut. Everyone gets cut. If you bear no fruit, you get cut off. If you bear fruit, you get pruned. Everyone gets cut. We live on 33 acres out in the middle, literally of nowhere in West Virginia. Only in the fall and winter can we see another house. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. But we have this one apple tree that I have no idea who planted. It's, it's kind of behind our house on the slope of a hill, and it is annoying. It's a pain in the rear to mow around because every branch that's ever broken off on this thing becomes a spear. And it's, it, it's, I feel like the goal of that tree is like hurt, pain. <laughs> and honestly, it's just ugly. The apples are always, they've always been small and misshapen. I've never even wanted to like have one. Like the colors, they just, they're, they're ugly. So in my role, I mean, I'm responsible for all the Northeast. So when, obviously when COVID hit March 2020, I didn't travel nearly as much as I had been traveling. So for about six months, I didn't go a whole lot of anywhere in the Northeast. And so I got to do some things that I've wanted to do. One of those was to cut off a bunch of the branches of that stupid tree. And I did. I am not a pruner like, G- like the father is. I just started hacking stuff away, a bunch of dead stuff, and just got rid of branches that were spearing me. And I was like, you know, huh, well done. <laughs> and then I mow and I don't get hurt. Crazy thing happens. That year, we had big, relatively nice-looking apples and more than we have ever had on that tree ever since we've lived on that property. And I was like, I feel like that's in the Bible someplace. (laughs) It's like, wow. If we're going to remain in Jesus, everyone gets cut. And so we have to ask ourselves, in fact, I think we need to offer to the Lord And answer this question, what should I allow the Lord to prune from my life? What should I offer the Lord to prune from my life? See, the Israelites were admonished in the Old Testament. They were implored in their farming to not do two things. They were told, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
Meaning you don't go right up to the edges of the field. Leave the edges. Don't go over the harvest a second time. And the point of this was to allow people that were poorer to have something where they could work and gain food. But embedded in this is an idea of trust. Will you trust my provision so much that you won't harvest all the way to the edges and you won't go back through and try to extract every single grape, every single olive, every single date that you may have missed the first time through? In our Western world, we edges, those are meant for consumption. I mean, in our Western world, we treat our life as like go over the whole thing, right to the edges. We harvest our whole life, everything, and we go over it a second time. How much can we extract? Because we're about production, but the kingdom of God is not production. It's bearing fruit, not producing fruit. And so I think in some ways we need to apply that same challenge. Are we willing, what if we didn't harvest right up to the edge of every area of our life, like harvest right up to the edge of our time, that we left some time, that we left some money, that we left some resources in our lives, such that we can offer them to the Lord, such that we could make available to the Lord. Recently for me, One of the things um, that's been part of my pruning is I just committed to the Lord. God, I don't want to have, I don't want to look at any media before you in the morning. So no newspaper. And I know for younger people, you may not know what that is. It's a large piece of paper that has black ink on it that explains what you just saw on the news feed on your phone. It's for older people who can't read the small device but need a larger device to look at. So no newspaper, no news feed on my phone, no email, uh, no podcast, no TikTok, even though I don't have TikTok, but no social media at all. I don't you know, move through Facebook or Instagram or anything else. None of that. And like honestly, this morning, the first, I got up on my, and I looked at my phone to see what time it was, and I wanted to see did Gonzaga win last night or not. And I still don't know. So don't say, I'll check later. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know. Somebody's either joyful or, or upset. I don't know what happened on that in the game. But I want, in this life that's so much chaos, so much craziness in our world, I want the defining voice for my day to be Jesus' voice. Not what the latest craziness is. Not whatever the fear-inducing headline is. Not whatever is like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened to that person. But I want, if I'm going to go into my day, I want to have something of value to give away. I want to have something in value, of value embedded in me so I know how to walk out this day with Jesus. Man, worship that costs much is worth much. Worship that costs much is worth much. I've watched groups of students gather together to do weeks of 24-hour prayer runs, sacrificing their time. I've watched students read through the Bible for the first time and then invite someone else to do that, spending the time investing in them along the way, using up their time. I've watched students abstain for weeks at a time from social media. I've watched them for the first time ever fast food. Not fast food, but fast food. <laughs> Me not eat it. Some, of, some I've watched give up athletic scholarships because they knew they wanted more of Jesus and more of his work. They said no. They said some no so they could say yes to Jesus, the source, the true vine. And in doing so, I've watched him transform their lives. Let's continue reading in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 16. Again, slowly, put yourself with the disciples. Listen as they listened. Catching the tension of the moment that, man, something is going on and we don't fully get it. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete, so that my joy may be in you, sorry, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, and they didn't even know what was coming. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Love each other as I have loved you. This is my command. Love each other. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The second real we call real community, and that's the love that we are called to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, just two chapters earlier in John chapter 13, gave them a specific picture of what uh, what loving one another looked like. And it's interesting, through the years, I feel like I've heard two different definitions of the opposite of love. I've heard people say the opposite of love is selfishness. And then I've heard other people say the opposite of love is pride. And I think they're both right, actually. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Selfishness or selfish ambition says, me first. Me first. Pride or vain conceit says, I am more, and then fill in the blank. I am more beautiful. I am more important. I am more, meaning I should go before you in the line to get Chick-fil-A. I am more, whatever it may be. So what did Jesus do to demonstrate this, to, to kind of paint a picture for them in John chapter 13? Before anyone thought as they gathered for the Last Supper to wash his feet, because nobody had thought to have a servant do this for any of them, Jesus washed theirs. It would have been culturally appropriate for any of them to wash his feet first, because he's the honored teacher, not just the honest, honored teacher. He's the son of the living God. He's the Messiah they've all been waiting for. He has the words of eternal life. He's raised the dead. He's healed the sick. He's fed thousands upon thousands multiple times. Would have been a good idea to wash his feet first. That's what the honorable thing to do would have been. But they didn't. And instead, Jesus goes first. He washes all their feet, including the, those of the betrayer Judas, the denier Peter, and the, the other ten deserters. It was radical generosity towards them to do something that was so honestly nasty for their sake, to bless them, to love them. Selfishness is combated by radical generosity. For us, achieved only in purity as we remain in Jesus. What else did he demonstrate, though? The other thing is that he took off his robe, the symbol of his authority, and took up a towel, the symbol of a servant, when he did this. He switched the positions. He was in the position of honor. He was in the position of power. But he had divested himself of that and said, instead, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to pretend that you guys are the honored guests at this meal, at the Last Supper. Because that's what I feel. That's what I believe. That's how I see you. Instead of me first, or instead of selfish ambition, he switches it on its head and honors them and treats them as the honored guests. Pride is combated by radical honor. Charlie Rosser is the guy who succeeded me as the director of Fairmont State Chi Alpha. He had been a student of ours, then did a Chi Alpha internship, a 10-month training program to train for campus ministry post-college, and then came and joined our staff team. 
And three years ago, he took over the ministry at Fairmont State. But I've watched he and his wife, Claudia, quietly so that nobody knew, give a car away to a young family. They were alumni of Chi Alpha, had their first child. Car broke down, didn't have the means to buy a new one. So they gave him theirs. I've also watched him, him as an Assemblies of God U.S. missionary who lives off of monthly support from individuals and churches. He and his wife, Claudia, commit that if any missionary ever asks them for support, they will give them at least $50 in monthly support. Monthly support. Not one gift of $50, but every month they commit to that. That's radical generosity. That's instead of saying me first, saying you first. I remember years ago we had this young man by the name of Trey who got involved in our Chi Alpha uh, now, we're in the middle. I mean, we're in like a tiny town in West Virginia, and he was from right outside of D.C. He was not a follower of Jesus, but he's plugged into a small group in our community and just kind of became involved in everything. Was at the large group. Like, anytime people played football, he was there. Board games, he was there. Hangouts, he was there. Started going on retreats, conferences. He, he just was there for everything. He'd help, he'd help out here and there, but his life didn't yet line up with Jesus. But I also watched this community of students see something in him. They saw who God made him to be, not who he was right now. And eventually they won him. He started following Jesus. It was probably about 18 months later. I remember we were at a retreat and I was praying for him. And I don't remember what the context was. But all of a sudden, like through teary eyes, he looks at me and says, Why do you keep believing in me? Here's this African-American young man coming to a campus that's vastly white to play football but then finding out when he got there that he had a heart condition that nobody knew about and it stopped him from ever being able to play football again. Here was this young man who had lost his mom at a young age, who had a challenging relationship with his father, grew up with his grandparents raising him, crime all around him, in fact, in some of his family. And to me, when he asked that, it, it was like the most ludicrous question. Like, what? I mean, we just do. I mean, it was just... I feel like that what, what the students had been doing had become a part of my heart as well. Like, we just see you as Jesus made you to be, not as you are. So why wouldn't we believe that God could do this through you? Why wouldn't we believe? Now, 10 plus years after he's graduated, he and his wife have adopted three little brothers, three little boys that were brothers, and given them a new life where they weren't going to have one. They've changed their destiny. See, love that costs much is worth much. It's the kind of love that gives away a car. It's the kind of love that opens their home and their life to three little boys and says, I see what they could be, so that's the way I'll treat them. It's setting a crown over those little boys' heads and believing God's going to make something out of them, so that's how I'm going to treat them. Radical generosity and radical honor, how we counter the me first of our culture, or the I am more of our culture. And they're radically countercultural. So as we remain in Jesus, this is the kind of love that he wants us to demonstrate to the world. So we have to ask ourselves then, what will we sacrificially give to counter our flesh's desire to be selfish, to be me first? And then also, who will we look around at? Who will we decide to honor? Who will we set a crown over their head to counter the I am more that's in our culture and in our flesh. I think a great way, I mean, uh, Rob just mentioned community groups kicking off in, in April, a great place to get in there and just start living that out right where you are in the midst of that community group. The final reel is found throughout this passage, but culminates in verse 16, the last verse, where Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you 
so that you might go and bear fruit. And we call that real responsibility. It's paradoxical. I don't know if you noticed the language of of this, and I mentioned it earlier. We do not produce fruit. We bear fruit. We bear fruit. Now, I want to make sure we get something right now. That apple tree in my backyard, what does it produce? Very good. 100% A plus, gold star. Orange trees produce? Disciple trees produce? (gasps) Wow. Interesting. Yes, we're supposed to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's evidence of a life of walking with Jesus. But like bears like. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I want you to produce what you are. I want you to bear what you are. Excuse me. I want you to bear what you are. Like should bear like. That's the expectation of Jesus we're discipling in. I recently heard a, Chi Alpha mission, a former Chi Alpha missionary share, attachment is more important than tactics. And I understand when you're endeavoring to reach someone, when you're endeavoring to disciple someone, it's hard work. It's challenging. I mean, it's prayer. It's ours. It's hard work. But attachment is more important than tactics. Attachment to Jesus and to people is more important than the strategy or the tactics that we use. It takes prayer and hours, yes. But the call again, just as like, like what we saw with what Lisa shared, the call again is to remain in him so that he, the true vine, can come up through us and then out to others. We have to ask ourselves, okay, God, why do I do the things I do? Who do I do the things that I do for? We have to start evaluating our own lives. Are they centered in Jesus? Is it about Jesus or is it about us? Such that we then have something to give away to others. It's interesting. When Paul and his, his disciples went to Thessalonica and they started sharing about Jesus, all of a sudden people responded and accepted Christ. They spent a little bit of time with them and saw transformation happen, and then Paul and his friends got run out of town. So eventually he sends Timothy back to check on them. He gets a good report, and he, he then writes 1 Thessalonians, like, let me help you understand what happened to you. And in part of it, as he imparts to them how he discipled them, he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, not just information, but our lives as well, in incarnation. You heard the information, but you saw how it was lived out. You saw what it looked like in real life because we were with you. We shared information, but we shared our lives with you as well because we loved you so much. We did both. Real responsibility could be summed up in life together where the gospel saturates the whole thing, where Jesus touches every part. My wife, um, because we have four kids and uh, we've made the decision to homeschool. Has, her involvement in Chi Alpha has ebbed and flowed. She's never been able to be full-time involved in Chi Alpha. But the reality is this, this life and ministry, it, it does, I mean, there's not like hard edges to it. So it, it just comes into your life in all kinds of ways, people over, dinner time, and all that stuff. And so we endeavored to do things that allowed my wife to get around students, student leadership meetings at our house and that kind of thing. But I have lost count a long time ago of the number of young ladies that have said about my wife or said to my wife, I learned, I learned how to be a mom, a godly mom, by watching you. I learned how to be a godly wife by watching you. I learned that's how I want my home to look, by watching you and the home you helped to create. I learned how to set the priorities of my family by watching you set the priorities of, of your family. 
When I left your home, I said, that's what I want my home to feel like. It's got to feel like that place. No program, no curriculum, no class, just life with. Dinner at the house, leadership meeting at the house, hanging out on a trip, sitting at a retreat, having coffee. I feel like, honestly, right now, a lot of times, my, my wife's life is like an ongoing Chi Alpha Alumni Association meeting. No, oh, so-and-so just stopped over. I got to see her baby for the first time. Yeah, I'm having coffee with so-and-so. And she helps to lead a homeschool co-op. And there's like, I don't know, half a dozen or eight former Chi Alpha moms that are part of that. Now moms. They weren't moms then when they were students. But so she's around them. All, it's just amazing to me. Another aspect of this is one of my favorite things in Chi Alpha has been watching water baptisms. I love them. I've presided over tons of them, watching a small group leader baptize a small group member that they led to the Lord and discipled. And I, I, let me tell you, these college students know how to party at a baptism. They get fired up. They get loud. <laughs> they get real loud. But what I always look for is the grandparents, not the physical grandparents. And occasionally we have parents and grandparents that, that are at the water baptisms, but I'm looking for the spiritual grandparents. I'm looking for the 20 or 21-year-old that led the 19-year-old to Jesus that is now baptizing the 18-year-old. I want to see their eyes. Because all of a sudden, they're like, what God did in me, he did through me. And then then what God did in her, he did through her to this girl. I remember a couple years ago, I was at a fall retreat, and all of a sudden, I heard from across the parking lot, a young lady yell out to me, Matt, I'm a grandma, Matt, I'm a grandma. My girls that I reached, reached girls and baptized them this weekend at the retreat. I'm a grandma. She gets it. What God did in her, he allowed him, she allowed him to do through her. Their disciple made a disciple demonstrating that they are actually a disciple. They bore fruit. They bore fruit. Discipleship that costs much is worth much. This real responsibility, when we take that on, it deepens our, our real devotion to Jesus because a lot of times we don't know what in the world we're doing, so we're crying out, God, please help. We don't know what to answer, so we seek the word, seek God's face. We, we, we get into the word. We, we ask for counsel from wise people around us. And honestly, it deepens real community as well because all of a sudden, you're shoulder to shoulder with other people that are doing the same thing as you are. You're not just huddled together, which, I don't, don't get me wrong, I believe in real community. We should love one another. And we should be together. We should be in that circle. But sometimes the circle needs to move out and we need to march together for the sake of his kingdom. Because there's a lot of people in a lot of places that don't yet know Jesus. And a lot of them are in your workplace. They're in your school they're in your families. They're in your neighborhoods. But I, I understand discipleship that costs much is worth much. It's hard. Every student has to decide if Jesus is worth the investment of time to reach and disciple other students. They could just stay in their small group and be a part of the awesome small group they were a part of and they love. This would require more self-discipline. This would require using up some of the free time that they consider so important. It would mean caring for people they don't yet care a whole lot, that that may not care a whole lot yet. We have to ask ourselves if we're willing to go and bear fruit. In the normal course of our lives, as your pastor said earlier, to go and bear fruit. It will cost us to follow Jesus and his commission to go and make disciples. But here's the rub. There's a cost to non-discipleship as well. There's a cost to non-discipleship. There's a cost 
to not go and make disciples. And I think we need to worry, what in the world would that be? What does that mean, Lord? What's that cost then to me? If I don't follow you completely, particularly in your great commission, particularly in your call, your invitation in John 15. Every fall on campuses across the Northeast, Chi Alpha students are sent out to find, fight for, and feed the lost lambs of God. Students that have arrived on campus that are looking to party, looking to do stuff they weren't allowed to do at home. But Jesus wants to interrupt their lives. That doesn't just happen on college campuses. And the reason we send them out on the college campus is that's where they are. Now, God may call some of you to the ends of the earth, but he's probably called you right now to right where you are. So right where you are to interrupt people's lives with Jesus. Paul and Rob asked me to speak to you about making disciples, but remember, we don't produce fruit. We bear fruit. Like should bear like. Why wouldn't a branch connected to the vine bear fruit? So we have to ask ourselves, God, how will we let God do through us what he's done in us? How will, we let God, how will you let God do through you what he's done in you to interrupt the lives of other people? I want to invite the worship team to come up. And I'll have some closing thoughts and pray, and then Rob will come up to finish us out. I've often ha- wondered what happened to the rich young ruler. You know? I'm, I'm almost 49, I know it's hard to tell, but, uh, but I picture him as, you know, near my age at this point, 25 years later, maybe after he had met Jesus, he's in his palatial home in front of his fireplace, roaring fire, all these people around for some party that he's thrown, but he feels alone as he sits in front of that fire, wondering about what had come of all those followers of Jesus. He knows the stories, he knows Jesus died and was resurrected, and these, these guys that he saw with Jesus have continued to go out and tell others about Jesus. And I've wondered, what's been in his head? What's been in his heart? And then I picture these other fires, these campfires, where around one, it's Peter and Mark and some people that I don't know their faces. I don't know their names. And another, it's Andrew and some faces and names I don't know. And another, it's John and some faces and names I don't know. And some others, it's Peter and Tim, or Paul and Timothy and some faces I don't know. Another, it's Titus and Epaphroditus and faces and names I don't know. Some young, some old, some Jews, some Gentile, some wealthy, some poor, free, slave, all of them around these fires together. Some persecuted, some living okay in safety. Laughing, weeping, praying around these fires together. But all of them, all of them believing that Jesus was worth it. That Jesus was worth the cost of worship. They gladly take the pruning. That Jesus was worth the cost of love. They gladly offer generosity and honor. And that Jesus was worth the cost of discipleship. They gladly let God do through them what he has done in them. They've not gone away sad, but instead, full of joy. And 20 years into campus ministry, 20 years into doing this and watching students come and transition out. And we've got some that are serving overseas on the missions field. We've got some that are in campus ministry themselves, some that are in pastoral ministry. But honestly, the, the large majority are teachers, and nurses, and business people, and architects right in communities in West Virginia. But they're the ones to me that are like seed. They go out to die. That 30, 60, and 100 fold can come. And West Virginia needs seed like that. 
my invitation to you is what will you allow God to do through you that he's already done in you that fires can be started here that seed can be planted here in Lansdale and the surrounding area I want to pray for you and then we'll go into this song of worship and Rob will close this out Lord Jesus I honor the work that you have done in this church I honor the work that you have done in these folks Lord I honor the commitment Lord Jesus that folks have made to you God, will we open our hearts to your pruning? Will we open our will to your love to go through us? And God, all of us, all of us, God, we we all have things to write about how you have been our savior. God, you have done things in us. You have set us on a right path. God, you have provided for me in ways that are just ridiculous. You have delivered me from things that it seems impossible that it could have happened. God, what you have done in us would you do through us? God, will we open our hands and open our hearts to you, whatever you ask, whatever you want, whenever, wherever, along the way of our lives, we would go and bear fruit as you call us to do, that you appointed and chose us to do. Bless this congregation in the strong name of Jesus. Bless them with your spirit. Bless them with your love. Bless them, Lord, as they worship you, that it would just come back upon them in transformed lives. And God, may you bear much fruit here through these folks. In Jesus' name, amen.